Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here and listening. And we have a really great guest today, but I do have to start today's episode on a somber note. So there are people from different places who listen to this podcast, and many of them are in the South Carolina region of the world and in the U.S. And I got my comedy start in Greenville, South Carolina, and spent a good bit of time in Asheville, North Carolina, because they're cities that are close to each other, but they also have an awesome comedy scene. An Asheville comedian who was a staple in Asheville comedy by the name of Michael Roach passed away over the weekend. I knew Michael, but I didn't know him well. Despite that, he always spoke to me like we did know each other well. I think that's a testament to his character. This is obviously a very tough situation for his loved ones, and we send our deepest condolences to his family and friends. And I have friends who I am close with who were very close with him, and they, of course, are devastated and hurting right now in that makes me very sad to know that they are going through such an unexpected and heartbreaking situation. And I feel for you all, you are my friends, and I love you. One thing I do see in this very sad situation, and that sadness is not lost on me, but what I do see is the bond that is in that scene, is in that community. I am touched by their sadness And they are sad, and as sad as they are, because of this community that comedy built. And that community is real. I think there's something beautiful to that, despite this sadness. You have that community. The mere fact that you are hurting is evidence of that. And that community is a beautiful thing. So please don't lose sight of that. Community works. And speaking of that community that art and comedy brings today's guest is someone that i met through the communal aspect of art i found out about her and then we ended up meeting and she's just someone i would not have met if it wasn't for the community that exists here in new york and she's one of my favorite people i've ever met she's such a kind and loving person she's got a big heart she her spirit is so welcoming and just loving. She's great. And she's an artist that has done a ton of things. She's a multi-hyphenate artist. She makes music. She made a film. She's even done busking. You name it, she's done it. She's so inspiring. And let's just dive right in and let her talk about all of the work she's done. It's very enlightening. Here's my chat with Lindsay Cat. Correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't you also done some other forms of art, like photography or painting or both? But I I feel like I have that memory of of, uh, knowing that about you. (laughs) 
Yes, that's correct. I actually started in painting. So I was, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, painting was my first creative uh, expression outlet. Even from childhood, right? Like coming out of, in, out of my childhood into my young adulthood, like mm -hmm. it was a really accessible medium for me. Um, it was a practice medium for me. And so it made sense when I first started that. That's where I started. And music came sort of shortly uh, second to that. Mm -hmm. um, but and you were a that, kid when you started in music, like like learning music too and, and making it? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I had a really artistically minded family. Mm -hmm. um, my father, who was sort of the small town... Um, family practice physician in town mm -hmm. in, in a the town that I grew up in, Montana, uh, he was kind of like the singing doctor, like always singing in the hallways of the hospital, like always playing songs on his acoustic guitar at home. And mm -hmm. we were constantly the family that was doing the like community theater productions together. <laughs> and like, like all as a family. So like if there was a show, like we all had a part. Like, so I was, oh, wow. How yeah, large very, is your family? Well, I'm one of seven kids, so large. Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty <laughs> um, large. <laughs> and yeah, you can I, actually put together an entire show of just <laughs> all yeah, nine of you. Yeah, definitely. And and at that time, it was four of us kids, and then later the addition of three. Um, and so it was it was interesting to see too, like how everybody engaged with creative expression differently, but we all used it as the unifying point to sort of grow familiarity with one another and intimacy and connection and it was yeah it was a really fun thing growing up and so it felt very safe and accessible uh and it kind of fell in line with my already very intentionally whimsical childhood <laughs> so it yeah. was yeah that, that so it was a big foundation for where I started and then it, it was a really natural progression for me from that climate sort of into pursuing art more seriously and with a different slightly more focused intention yeah and you mentioned there that with your family it was how you learned to relate with one another and communicate with one mm. another and i imagine that that too has stayed with you into your professional career that is how you are mm. relating to people and communicating with the world absolutely well and the joke is like i i mean i feel like yes as much as i absolutely love the creative elements uh, of producing art, you know, I, I do think that a substantial part of me really got into the art world because of the people mm -hmm. and because it was a great catalyst to connect to people. And I wanted to be where the people were and the action was and like where people were doing things and thinking and talking and being honest and vulnerable. That's what excited me. Mm -hmm. it, it always did. And so when I, yeah, when I decided uh, as an adult, you know, what things I wanted to prioritize and value in my work life, it, it felt it felt really clear to me where those values were and where I wanted to focus my time. That's very cool. And you've done so much. I mean, I've said this already, <laughs> but it's just, it's hard to keep track of how much you've done. That's why I was sort of like, you've done this too, right? <laughs> because because I, I know about it, but it's just yeah. uh, the level of work and, and the quantity that you're putting out is pretty remarkable. Um well. Thank you. Oh, I, you know, it's interesting. One of the one of my favorite uh, sort of mediums in which I play is sort of public busking or public uh, mm -hmm. installation art, which is a weird one and one that I think very mocked. And sometimes, no, sometimes rightly so, <laughs> um, because it, sometimes it's difficult to understand when you're walking by something without a context. You're like, oh wait, is that person painted gold on a box? <laughs> you oh, turn okay, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. To kind of, Right, focus your attention on what it is, but mm -hmm. um, that kind of work 
uh, has been some of the most satisfying work I've done as an artist because you really get to be in the people. Mm-hmm. And that's an element uh, that a lot of people don't know in terms of career of things that I've done. And I actually am very proud of that work. Like, uh, I was able to speak about this on a podcast very recently, but I had um, everything from comedy pieces, which were sort of me holding... I, had, I was holding a frame around me that said, welcome to my face, the first mm-hmm. ever offline social media site. And people would put like buttons on it like <laughs> physically. <laughs> that sort of thing where people were just sort of engaging that way to projects where people were writing their feelings on a leotard that I was wearing mm-hmm. uh, while statuing for long periods of time. And those uh, those installation pieces have meant as much to me as, for example, the film that you mentioned. And in mm-hmm. different ways, they allow you to do something quickly in the people that allows for immediate uh, sort of reception and reflection. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it's Chris Rock who had the joke who was like, oh, you know, that's the thing about comedy is like you go do stand-up, which is very similar to sort of street performing. If you write a joke, you know right away if it's funny right. <laughs> because you're there and people either laugh or they don't. But like you make a movie, like it'll take three years. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it could it take worked, forever. And, and so there's, yeah. yeah, and so having my finger in sort of different artistic pots has helped mm-hmm. me... Uh, Taper the challenges of both worlds. How do you do it all? Is it because, you know, obviously you can't literally do all of it in the same day, but are you staggering it out differently? Is it just play out differently? Like, what is it that is allowing you to be able to do such varying kinds of work? Yeah, I think for me, it's been a a long, hard-earned practice of being present Mm-hmm. which I think sometimes can come off as sounding very cheesy. Uh, but it's it's that thing of, you know, when you're in each day, I know what I'm excited to do each day. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who gave me excellent work advice years ago, and they said, you know, eat, sleep, play, work, but don't do any of them badly. Meaning if mm-hmm. you can't sleep, like stop trying to sleep and go work. If you're not working productively, go and play. If, mm-hmm. if you're not having fun playing and you're just stressing out because you have work to do, go and get your work done. <laughs> like, but don't focus your energy on something that's going to be fruitless just because you arbitrarily decided that's what you should do at 2 o'clock. Right. And part of what's helped me keep in motion has been to wake up each day and say, okay, like, what do you feel really excited about doing right now? Mm-hmm. And you know, where do you feel like your energy is going to be most fruitfully spent? And that philosophy has served me really productively in the past. Um, It's made me feel really happy. uh, And happy is a complicated word, of course, but Mm -hmm. content um, Mm -hmm. in the the present, excuse me. And then, I don't know, like, I feel like part of where I have opened my thinking is, I feel like it's really simple to plan a thing, to say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm planning this thing. There's these five steps. If I do them in order... To the best of my abilities, I'll have this thing when I'm done. Mm -hmm. That model is something that I feel like I have gained some proficiency at. I feel a fair degree of confidence around. And I also feel like limits me to the thing I know I can make, Mm -hmm. right? Which is this thing that I planned. And so for me, the the exciting uh, world that I've been trying to kind of get to in the last few years has been that area past that in the land of you don't know what you don't know (laughs) that's like beyond a thing that you know to plan and it's scary because you don't have enough information to fake it (laughs) so you're kind of in deep water trying to figure it out and but that area artistically has been the most exciting to me and the most satisfying and so that's sort of how I've been uh, prioritizing my focus I guess also uh, Mm -hmm. in my day-to-day planning of this stuff so as things come up you know, I try to say yes to them and push myself. And especially if I'm feeling that tingly 
feeling of like, oh yeah, like you want to do that. Like, and then that other voice pops up and says, but you don't know how to do that. It's like, well, but I have this much time and I've got this access to these resources to learn how and to practice those skills. And, and then maybe we'll see, and then we'll see where we are. And so that kind of thinking has helped me a lot. I think. That is, I think a good approach. Obviously you're having success with it. I think where I get bogged down is if my mind is bogged down like if I'm stressed out Mm. or if I'm frustrated about things Mm. then it's hard for me to focus on the thing that I want to do what sort of advice do you would you give to someone in that sort of position so they can still focus and do the work that they want to do it's a great question um I think my answer may come out on the side of controversial (laughs) because my from what I, from the experiences I've had in those situations, and I, I face them all the time, is that I don't try and force myself to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I do other things. And so I, I've come to see the world as sort of this beautiful combination of dot collecting mm-hmm. and dot connecting. So what I hear you saying is I want to focus my energy and connect these dots. Mm-hmm. Again, in the interest of not doing anything badly that you're not sort of naturally uh, gravitating towards, if I'm not in a mode where I can connect effectively, my energy is wasted there. Mm-hmm. But if I then go into collection mode and say, okay, well, I can't connect right now. My brain is not utilizing that to the best of its ability. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go put myself back in the world. I'm going to s- have some experiences and collect some knowledge and collect some anecdotes and have some fun and put it away for a minute and remember what it's like to be a person in the world doing people Mm -hmm. things and then come back to the connection sort of fresh off of that Mm -hmm. and see what's changed and that model of sort of stopping and saying okay I feel really stuck great we all get stuck Mm -hmm. instead of trying to force yourself to not be stuck lean into being stuck and continue to live in other ways continue Mm -hmm. to say okay well I'm stuck over this what else am I interested in right now Because where that's led me is often to education, to exposing myself to new voices, to new books, to new experiences that then get me back on that track of, oh, now I want to connect this piece. Like, I just learned this new thing. Now I want to connect this piece in. And it puts me in connection mode again. And that's sort of the thing that gets me back on track and that I kind of spark my motivation from when it's time to sit down and really connect those dots and do the work. What I'm hearing and what I think is really good is this idea of, like, don't overstress yourself. You know, don't don't overextend yourself. If you need to take a breather on that, then take a breather on that. And I think that's great. Um, And with a lot of this stuff, we don't necessarily have deadlines. I don't have a deadline. I don't work at SNL. I don't have to have the sketch written by Tuesday night or by Wednesday table read. You know, like I don't have to like work like that. But. I am at a certain age and I moved up here at a certain time and I just want to get good and hit the ground running. And um, I think a lot of people have probably moved, like you were someone who moved to New York um, from, but you were from Los Angeles, right? You were living in Los Angeles before you moved in, here. You know, it's funny. I wasn't. It's, I, it's, at some, at some point, uh, somebody added that to my, like mm. I, um, Online stuff, IMDb. Yeah, IMDb. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm dyslexic. I keep saying it backwards. So I, Uh, but yeah, and it's not. I I, I was born. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, I was born in Escondido, California, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know where the wires got crossed on that. I think in an interview I said I was born in California, and somebody put that in a thing. (laughs) Uh, But no, I was raised Uh, in Montana. Uh, I was born in California, but raised in Montana, and I I came to New York from Montana. Talking about Montana. 
Yeah. Or, you know, I didn't remember that it was specifically Montana, but yeah, I just yeah, knew it fine. wasn't Los Angeles. But then yeah. I saw that and just assumed I've that was wrong. I've never spent time somehow. there, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you two moved to New York and uh, yes. to pursue the same sort of stuff, art and, and entertainment and or media yes. that a lot of people move to New York to do. Right. And when there is that sort of, well, listen, the getting is good now, right? Like, I can't wait any longer. Um, what is the thing to sort of focus on then that would be more fruitful and healthy and more right. helpful? Right. So there's two things. So the first thing is, I, I think I understand what you're saying, right? I think the implication that is the premise that I sort of maybe disagree with is that what I was stating was uh, that I sort of go to that measure of getting in the world and collecting dots and being sort of passive mm -hmm. uh, because I'm tired or I need recovery or there's a sort of maxed out feature <laughs> that's mm -hmm. happening, function that's happening. Um, and that's not actually what I meant. Um, right. I actually think that You're that's, that's sort more of, of like, what well, is I, your train yeah, of thought right now? Yeah, I think it's more about being in the world, right? And so this mm -hmm. idea that if you're not producing, you're not doing anything, mm -hmm. I think is actually a really damaging ideology because it, mm. it sort of, it puts this focus a few steps ahead of now, which is that we're absorbing things, we're learning all the time, we're knowing more information about ourselves in every moment, right? So like an exercise around that is if I, for example, if I am split between between a decision, I'll flip a coin, but not so the coin will tell me. It's so I can notice if I'm disappointed when I say, okay, if it's heads, I'm doing this. And then if it hits heads, if I feel disappointed, I have just learned a lot of information about myself. No, that's because I go, really oh, good actually, advice. you wanted this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and so well, like, that's how my girlfriend things... helps me figure out what I want when I'm at a restaurant trying to decide between two yes. meals. Yeah, and yes. And it really does work. <laughs> yes. And it matters because the more information we have, the better position we're in to make choices that will facilitate both our most productive routes towards mm -hmm. the thing uh, that we want and also, you know, the things that make us happy, the things that bring us delight. And we mm -hmm. can know how to navigate that a little, a little easier. And so for me... I think it's easy to look at a career like mine from the outside in and think, oh, look, and like she's doing all these things. All of those moments of accomplishment that read so well uh, as sort of a press, press, you know, condensed press release mm -hmm. uh, are all intertwined with moments of life happening all around me that don't have anything to do with that, mm. that actually have very little to do with those other moments. And it's that moment of downtime and those moments where you think you're stuck. And I'm telling you, every person that I have spoken to, both at the very top of their careers, at the very maximum of fame and success, mm -hmm. to people who are completely frustrated because they just can't get that first gig to put on their resume, feels this way mm -hmm. of this like, oh, and I'm, what if I, what if there's nothing else? The scarcity of like being stuck mm -hmm. and like, what if there's no place to go or whatever, you know, whatever all that story is that you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't really go away with credentialed accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Sort of even at the very highest levels, it just expands. The problem just gets bigger. So we just shift the problem into a bigger scale. Mm. We don't actually solve the problem. And so for me, one of the ways I've addressed solving this problem is to be very present, to contextualize what doing my work means to me. So to know for sure that what happens to my work isn't the integrity and doesn't speak to the integrity of why I do it, 
meaning that if I if I produce the best film that I can make and then nobody likes it, that that doesn't speak to the integrity of why I did it or the benefit of going even through the process as an art maker of making it. You know, so it, yeah. for me, it's like, I feel like it's about figuring out what your creative drive is. And there's nothing wrong with having goals or wanting to reach certain levels for any reason. Like so, And I hear a lot of frustration from people about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I'm wondering where the disconnect is for you. Like when you think about what will equal happiness for you in terms of a career? Is it a monetizing your career thing? Is it a sort of accolades and exposure thing? Mm-hmm. Like where is the credibility for you? I think it would be being able to make a living. I mean, I, I'm, I've not been one to, to want to be the next Will Smith or something like that, because that would be ridiculous to, like, set my sights on. Um, just mm. because, you know, like, that's sort of, that's such a, like, small number of people who <laughs> who get to that level. So what, so, but what makes you think that's inaccessible to you? That's the part that I think mm. a lot of people get stuck on is they start to see these limitations around themselves and they say, well, I can't do that. So I'm not even going to think about that. And for me, the problem with that line of thinking is that if I told you to close your eyes right now mm-hmm. and look around your room, and you could do this exercise now, and I say, okay, look around the room right now and tell me everything that you see that's blue, hmm. and then close your eyes. Now, if I ask you right now, what are all of the red things in the room? <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to tell me what those are? Probably less than if you were less. looking for the red things. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And so, the, and the point being that part of how it works is that we see the things that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, we bring them to the forefront of, of our thought. And so, our brain starts to log those things as important. Oh, I was looking for that. There's that. And there's that. And it starts to pull them aside. Mm-hmm. And I think when we start to say, hey, that's unavailable to me, we stop mm. recognizing our path to that, that thing. And we stop seeing the very practical routes to that thing that we've decided now is outside of our reach. Interesting. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I guess like I avoid that partly because I don't want to be arrogant enough to think that that is what I can do or just, I don't know. I think to a certain extent though, it's mostly setting myself up for what's for not having some major disappointment, you know, and then also there's a part yeah. of me that wants to do the the real work, you know, like I yeah. uh, it, when I think about what satisfies me, it's doing the kind of work that always inspired me. And so it doesn't have to be the biggest thing. It has to be inspiring. Like I can do something and it can, be, can become the biggest thing. But if it didn't inspire me, then I'm not going to be fully satisfied. Uh, right. I'll be doing just fine, obviously, if it's the biggest thing. But. I, w- I still would want to be striving. But at the same time, there's always that strive. You are in um, in music, and I've heard that one thing that a lot of uh, people who r- write music and create music say is when, when someone asks them, what is your best song? Then the answer is, I haven't made it yet. You know, And it's because they want to continue mm. to strive for that thing that they, for that, that thing that they are inspired by. And mm. so, of course, I'm always going to be striving like that. But at the same mm. time, I, I I feel like if I just got something that meant nothing to me, but, hey, I don't have to worry about money, then I, I, mm. I wouldn't be fully happy with that. I, I, 
Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying I have to have fame to be happy either. I just, right. I want to be able to make good work and do what I feel is inside of me. That's part of it, right? Is figuring mm -hmm. out what it means to you. Like, is the work you do meaningful only if it's at scale? Mm -hmm. Is it meaningful to you only if it produces a monetizable revenue because if you're looking at it that way you know van gogh never sold a painting right. <laughs> you're like, and so you have to and granted that you know there's a lot of these sort of anecdotal uh examples that you know obviously don't equate to the struggle that mm -hmm. you're talking about which is that it's hard it's hard to be a working artist and not feel like the work you're doing is resonating with people at scale right. yet right or that you, it also... would if it could just do blah 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 like those are all <laughs> right. real problems they're all worth they're all worth talking about mm -hmm. and i don't mean to be sort of flowery or or sort of uh skim past the importance of that and mm -hmm. the nature of what it means to to want to do your best work mm -hmm. at a level of in which people will most benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very admirable goal and something that I also aspire in my work. Mm -hmm. That being said, I have never done my best work when I am forcing my best work. Mm. And so speaking back to sort of what I was uh, maybe sort of discursively <laughs> um, <laughs> discussing before, it, it's, this, it's this idea that to do my best work, I need to be really honest with where I am right now. And if where I am right now is stuck, I don't know that it serves the work that I'm doing to pretend or coerce or try and manipulate that out. But rather than to be stuck and have a better understanding of why I might be stuck and what that might mean and what I might mean I need to do before that passes. Right. Yeah. And so part of it might be I oh I, like for me, personal example, I have horrifying stage fright. I get mm -hmm. massive social anxiety. I get mm -hmm. nervous and then I go blank and I'm like, oh, you sound stupid. You should stop talking right now. All that stuff, <laughs> right? It pours onto you and you, mm -hmm. you carry it and it, it makes me say no to things mm -hmm. and want to avoid things where I might have that consequence of mm -hmm. having to feel that way. And instead of putting myself in uncomfortable situations constantly, I feel like for me, the magic has been in choosing both. So to, to both say, you know what? It's okay that you don't want to do this right now. If you did it right now, it might create pain for you in a way that's not necessary. Mm. And there are also times in which I can go, you know what? Right now, this is only discomfort and you're uncomfortable. And right now that discomfort is worth what you will earn if you put yourself in a situation that you are afraid of and can best it in this moment. So... Mm. it's both and I think for me I know because I'm in because I'm there so if I, right. I'm in a situation where I think you know I'm not ready to do a thing I will say no and if I think I'm in a thing and I'm like oh I feel like doing this I will say yes and every now and then I will choose both and say I am uncomfortable but I will do it anyway mm, <laughs> and right. I feel like trying to navigate what works best for you for me has worked better than trying to mimic someone else's model and so yeah. for me it's kind of like you know you figure out where your comfort zone is, you push yourself out of it in areas in which you feel safe to do so in a way that you feel that is responsible, that's good for your heart, that considers all of the context. And in situations that don't honor that, you make different choices. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's all really great and uh, yeah. making me really think. And especially, and it's interesting how these sort of something that's on your mind and maybe you talk to unrelated pe people who don't know each other about it and then you find yourself hearing uh 
the same sort of themes and new conversations. I've been thinking about like being authentic uh, in my improv classes. I'm hearing that from my teacher. If mm. I'm having a discussion with somebody mm. else, and and now we're talking about it. You know, like it's it's this mm. thing. Uh, it's not a kick that I'm on. It's sort it's sort of something that I've been reminded of recently. And, Absolutely. Um, it's I really like that we're having this discussion about it because accepting where you are emotionally, mentally, knowing what mm. your headspace is and the atmosphere you're in is is a big part of the battle, right? Like mm. you, that's that's what you have to do if you want to be authentic as an mm. artist or someone who is trying to perform something because you can't fake it. Yeah. And it doesn't serve you or the work well to fake it, to try to fake it. Yeah. That's really resonating with me. Well, and I think for me, it's not so much to say that you shouldn't say yes to things that you're uncomfortable around or that you're afraid of or that are even painful for you. Because some of those things have been some of the best experiences of my life. I think Mm -hmm. it's about figuring out when you feel ready to be vulnerable enough to the people around you to say, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm scared. I'm scared shitless and I'm going to do this anyway. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're here with me to support me through this and to be a part of this moment, imperfect as it inevitably is, uh, and and lean into that. And that for me, that's where the sort of heartbeat of community mm-hmm. lies, right? Where you, you earn and express and invest in this vulnerability and intimacy with people. Mm-hmm. And then they get to be a part of this ride with you as you learn things, as you discover who you are, as you express yourself, you get to be in this in this community of people who are right there with you, who know the context of you, who have earned a right to be there. And those are the people that I try to focus my energy on, and, mm-hmm. and that's the community that I care about, and where a lot of my joy and, uh, I would say, positive backlash from... Uh, yeah, a lot of the artistic work I've done comes from is that community. Mm-hmm. Being in the trenches with people who understand the unique nature of your challenges that you face in your particular job. I also would imagine that's something that's somewhat universal. I mean, you don't have to be in arts and entertainment to really get if you're if you're at an office, you know, mm. working, then you're still in the trenches with some people. Exactly. And everybody has their own worldview that they're bringing into that. Mhm. And so, you know, especially, I know to circle, we keep circling back around, well, I keep circling us back around to that premise of when you feel stuck, what does that mean to you? Does it mean you're not getting the attention you think you should have? Does it mean you're not getting the exposure you think you should have? You know, does it mean you're not having the opportunities you want to have? Because when I'm in that particular situation, you know, you asked me before, like, what would you suggest to people to do? You know, I shift, again, my focus from trying to put out stuff to taking in stuff, those would be the moments when I would look for inspiration in the work of people I admire and respect. Mm -hmm. I would read, I would listen to podcasts, I would say, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, artificial intelligence, I'm going to listen to a bunch of podcasts about that this week. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I just spoke to this person about this thing that's interesting to me, and I'm gonna, you know, invest some time in hearing what, why they're excited about it. That's sort of what I mean about dot collecting. And Mm -hmm. it's not fruitless labor. It's funny, I just did a, an interview recently with someone, uh, well, Bleep, Bleep Magazine, actually. And I, I, had, I had with, in, in that interview, I spoke about this anecdote about a cactus uh, in which a friend of mine had expressed this anecdote where a cactus was given to them. 
And the instructions that were given to them about the cactus were, okay, here's the thing. You're going to want to water this cactus. Mm -hmm. Never water the cactus. The activity is restrained. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because the thing is is that that that's what the cactus needs to thrive, right? Is Mm -hmm. to not water it all the time or you will kill it. (laughs) And so, you know, there's a lot of projects um, that resonate with me in that metaphor. And, you know, the film is a great example if I had tried to rush uh, the film, which took almost three and a half years, I mean, nearly four, (laughs) embarrassingly, uh, if I had rushed any part of that process, we wouldn't have the same film, and I can guarantee you it wouldn't be the quality that it is now, Mm -hmm. or the caliber of art and work uh, and intention that it is now. And part of that was the ability to kick back and go, okay, it's not time yet. You'll Mm -hmm. know because you'll be there. Right, you'll be in that moment. You'll know when it's time, and inevitably, it always was, and we always did. And I think it's the sort of human predisposition to rush that mm-hmm. that ends up hurting a lot of work because we kind of go, no, no, if we just do it right now and we'll get it done now, and that'll be good enough, and we'll move on. While there are some elements of that ideology that have a benefit, uh, right, to applying things right away and to not sort of lingering in things too long, which I think people can kind of vet mm-hmm. the difference on their own. <laughs> Uh, I do think there's a benefit to sort of letting things breathe mm-hmm. and letting them be and and getting familiar with them, mm-hmm. getting familiar with why you want the things you want, why you've picked the job you picked, mm-hmm. you know, what your unique contributions to those jobs are into what that work is. And I think sometimes knowing the answers to those questions changes the work itself and allows us to express the work differently than if we would have if we kind of just gone off. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think, and I think that's a taste thing. I think it's I, like I said, I, I can't speak outside of my personal experience with it. Um, <laughs> a lot of artists work differently, and right. some some people get their best work from just going right away. Mm-hmm. And so it's not even something I I feel like I can say is universal wisdom, but that's what's been true for me. And I think part of learning to grow as artists is figuring out what works best for us and seeing right. ourselves and other artists is a great first step to that. Yeah, and also, you know, as you were saying that artists work differently, I was just hearing something yesterday. I think it was George Orwell, mm. but it was some classic writer who, uh, like, mm. wrote one of their classics in, like, an eight-day period or something, like, crazy like that. On, mm. And it was on a typewriter that they rented. <laughs> and I, I don't remember all the details, which, ironically... <laughs> I was doing a Elevate app, which is something that helped you uh, gain memory and, and retain information. Mm. And I've only mm. partly retained this information, even though the <laughs> activity was to retain information. So, yeah. I, But it was somebody like that. And it's interesting because not only will artists have different approaches from one another, one off time might be completely different than all the other times. You know, like mm. like it can end up having a different approach just because of the moment. Um, yes, and absolutely. I think, I think that speaks to being present and aware mm. and mindful in uh, in moments, and that's that's a helpful thing and a good thing, obviously. Mm. What one thing I'm wondering about, since you have, you approach all these different forms of of art and creating art, are you noticing mm. anything about the process that's mm. similar, regardless of the different mediums? Yeah, I think. If, if there's a similarity that's shared, it's that I am only ever looking just at the piece 
as it's speaking to me. So mm. it can't, for me, it kind of can't run a thread other than authenticity to that moment, right? Right. Because if I'm looking at one painting, the thing that informed the integrity of that painting is completely different than the details and context that inform an installation piece or a song mm -hmm. that might be related to a specific moment. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's consistent is that I am honoring the truth of the needs of that particular project uh, and, mm. and trying to listen more than I boss. That's one rule I try to follow as an artist. I try to not boss my material around too much. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do. I, I really do try to check my ego at the door, not, not because I think it makes me a better person, but because I think it, I think it reflects uh, in, in better work outcomes. Yeah. I think, uh, I think selfishly, I think when I kill my ego, I produce better work. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's <laughs> kind of like figuring out and, and identifying when those things do pop up, how to resolve them mm -hmm. in a way that speaks to the integrity of the work more. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging question. Um, it's so, it's so difficult because when you cross mediums for me, the result that I'm looking for when I produce a piece of work is that someone will have an intimate moment with the work that I've done mm -hmm. and that it will mean something to them mm -hmm. that moves them forward in their progression, whatever it is, in their trajectory, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so I can't be very specific about that because it's a unique experience to everyone. Right. But yeah, I guess when I create a, a piece, what I'm hoping will happen is that someone will see it and that it will resonate with them and that it will help them connect the dots that they've been collecting and and do the work that they are meant to do in the world at the best of their abilities. Mm -hmm. And if I've if if I've contributed to somebody producing their best work because they've been able to plug in what I've done into some other network of information that they've accumulated, I feel like I've done it. I feel like I've done my job as an artist. What made you want to make a movie? I mean, you're I know that you have your hands in a lot of different mediums, and uh, I'm wondering if it was a challenge that you always wanted to accomplish, or was it something that came out of nowhere for you and you said, well, this is the only medium I can create this, so I'm just going to go for it? Absolutely. The answer is no. I didn't always want to make a move. <laughs> yeah, I was I was really unknowledgeable about filmmaking actually, and mm -hmm. and the educational arc um, from going from sort of being unknowledgeable and unexperienced, inexperienced, excuse me, about filmmaking, mm -hmm. to being a more experienced uh, producer of a film um, was a very steep one, and mm -hmm. it came about because I had had I had had a moment of inspiration while I was doing work on a commercial project. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had been writing a a jingle for a, a pitch for a commercial with my business partner, and mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, Lindsay, you know, you've spent X amount of time in your career, you know, writing and producing soundtracks to things, and then I thought, that's so funny because when I watch a you know TV show, for example, and the music swells up and the emotional montage starts, the music is not inconsequential to me it, it it feels very principal mm -hmm. and the the fact that it's sort of been treated as a garnish didn't make sense to me and i thought well why has no one produced a film track to a record instead of a soundtrack to a movie like i haven't seen much oh, of that and i thought no. about i thought about sort of the influences from my childhood of 
you know, Pink Floyd and Monty Python and these sort of innovators of form, Mm -hmm. you know, using cartoons and music and all these things together, animation. And, and I thought, you know, why haven't we seen more of that? I want to see more of that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I started to picture this, this, uh, outcome of, you know, what happens if we have a film that, is the sort of garnish to a record mm-hmm. and, but more than that, even that integrates into a record in a way that can be fractured into 10 pieces mm-hmm. so that you could watch each piece individually and have it still make sense mm-hmm. and then interlock it into one film and have that still make sense. Mm-hmm. And how could we integrate different genres into that? And so it's kind of just became this artistic playground in which I said, what about this? And what if we did this? <laughs> and, and, you know, I immediately wrote down these ideas and I, I called my music partner and I said, so I have this idea that I want to do, like, do you want to do this with me? And, you know, he said, yeah, I do want to do this with you. <laughs> and so from that moment, we had a place to start. And and that was how it kind of progressed for me. And I, I feel immense gratitude that I didn't feel any limitations around what was possible. Because at that point, we were just dreaming. We had no money. We had no, you know, we had no <laughs> plan. It was just ideas. It was just ideas we were excited about. And that was enough. And it was the right place to start. And it is where we started. And uh, I think it's why we have the results uh, product that we have today. So um, what's up, what's been on your mind and heart lately? Like, it seems like you've been through a, a long progression of trying to figure out what it is that you're doing here. And I know we've well, been kind of on a, a tangent about art and what it means to us and what it means when when we give it to the world. But, like, where are you with your journey with that? I'm so curious. Well, I appreciate you asking that. Um, it's so... I think I'm in a good place, and I obviously wasn't moving up here thinking, like, I'm going to be in SNL one day. You know, like, I wasn't coming up here with that because my approach has been for ever since I started doing stand-up even, which I started doing in 2009, mm. um, was to, to learn and to get yeah. better at this thing yeah. that I love. And when I started doing improv, it was the same thing. And um, that has been the reason why I moved up here is to learn, to get better, because Mm -hmm. I want to be on a certain level uh, at at Mm -hmm. doing those things. Um, I do want to be professional. Uh, I I do want to have a professional career doing it. But Mm -hmm. um, and I only say that to differentiate myself between someone who wants to be a professional versus someone who's just doing it for fun just as a hobby yeah, absolutely um well and creative expression has so many benefits whether you choose to go mm-hmm. in a professional trajectory or not exactly and it's okay to identify yourself as saying you know what this isn't a hobby for me like this is something i want to contribute as part of my work to the world that's mm-hmm. also incredibly relevant and valid <laughs> well thank you and yeah. and i and i when i would teach improv or just was helping doing things like that around the theater that I was at, my attitude was if someone's here just because after work they want to blow off steam, that is good. I think it's better when people acknowledge that. You know what I mean? Like I think some people do this and they don't acknowledge that that's what their efforts are. That's what their purpose is. And I think that is what people should do because they're going to do it better when they acknowledge that. (laughs) They're going to get more out of it when they acknowledge what they really want to do with it. Well, the thing I was just going to say, I I think it's more like we're more likely to get what we want if we say what it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? So if we're walking Mm -hmm. around the world pretending to be blue, 
but really we're purple. Mm-hmm. None of the other purple people can see us mm-hmm. because we're mm-hmm. pretending to be blue. And so I think for me, that's where the the really useful um, utility is from an authenticity perspective is mm-hmm. that when you when you really act as you are, you give others who genuinely resonate with you an opportunity to go, oh, there you are, to identify you and, and connect with you. And I think if if you pretend to be something that you're not, you're sort of cutting off that avenue of access. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more with that statement. Yeah, you're cutting off an avenue of access when you pretend um, and that, that means a lot of different things, that, that pretend thing, like we go back to talking about our th- authenticity. Mm. But mm. one of the other things that um, was actually coming to mind when you were talking about sort of saying, well, what is it that I, I want right now or what am I getting mm. out of this or, mm. you know, what am I feeling <laughs> right now? Mm. One of the things that I took a step back on was doing stand-up because it, I wasn't getting out of it what I wanted to get out of it. And I want to get better at creating it. Like, I want to get better at writing good jokes. And I just didn't see where that was fitting into my life at that moment. It Mm. it wasn't fun to go to the... There was, like, one open mic that was fun, but there were a few that were like, I'm not learning anything here Mm. other than Mm -hmm. how annoying it is to come here and no one pay attention to you they're just looking at their own notes and so like right. i'm not learning how to get better at writing i'm not learning how to get better at being a stage performer because mm. you know i could literally be as good as uh chris rock as being a stage performer and they mm. still are just so in their head about their jokes that I'm not going to learn whether or not I'm doing this well. So it's just mm. was kind of an annoying process that wasn't right. beneficial. And right. uh, and that's the problem of open mics that get started where everyone in the audience is uh, are other comics that are going on uh, mm. for the most part. Like sometimes when they're all pals, like in my old scene. We're, we were all pals, so we enjoyed watching each other, and we mm. became legitimate audience members. Mm. But here, I don't know any of these people. I, I just met them, maybe. Usually, they're just sitting there, and some of them are being judgmental about me, and some of them are just being judgmental about their own set. But in either mm. case, I'm not going to learn anything. <laughs> so mm. I was glad that I took that step back so that I could... Yeah. Since I was trying to do all of these other things as well and was spreading myself too thin, and that was the thing that needed to stop. And I think through this conversation, I am more confidently saying, yes, that was the right thing. That was the <laughs> thing that needed to stop. Yeah. And I mean, and there's all kinds of ways to look at the experiences that we have, right? Like you could look at that experience and say, okay, I didn't learn anything from the people that were there, but I had the experience of an audience who did not care that I was there. (laughs) And and I got to figure out what that felt like and what that did to the material and how I reacted to that and what Mm -hmm. my role was in that. And, and that is one of the benefits I've seen to working publicly in, for example, like the New York city subway system is Mm -hmm. that like, like nobody is your audience. They're not your audience. Like Mm -hmm. they're commuting, they're going to and from their jobs. They're going to and from a birthday party. Mm -hmm. You know, they just met their ex. They, uh, all these different, right. Trajectories of life. Mm -hmm. And, and you get to either be an intersecting moment in which they unexpectedly feel something or take away something that they didn't mean Mm -hmm. to encounter in their day. Mm -hmm. And that's a benefit to them. Or 
you're standing right in front of the subway doors move. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's right. And so, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know that when I'm in the way and I sort of have the experience of, Oh, nobody is getting anything out of this. Mm. My takeaway from those experiences has been right. But I have learned sort of not, not necessarily my role in, in that experience because mm-hmm. it's different based on who experiences you. Mm-hmm. But it's more like how to roll with the experience. <laughs> so, like, my job isn't to make sure everyone has that profound moment. My job is to be an opportunity for that moment, right? So, mm-hmm. my job is to hold space for the people who are going to hold have that moment and then not judge or resent or be bitter against the people who are like, dude, you're in my way. I need to go to work. Right. Because th- those people are on their own trajectory and they count too. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with what I exactly sort of the benefit of what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the things, and, and even in those open mic situations I was talking about, the mm. benefit also on, on top of what you're saying, or in addition to what you're saying is being able to be comfortable performing at your best with those elements you know if, uh, and i think that every time i see someone performing mm. in the subway especially mm. if they're good is that they the the best thing they could do is not care whether i'm paying attention or not like if you are that confident and in your performance that you can perform like you're alone like i feel to a certain degree i can be a better performer alone in my apartment than I can be if I'm in front of people. And that's just because mm. of the emotional blocks that come up. And yeah. then like the self-doubt that comes up. When you're yeah. performing in front of people, it's like, oh, they're not laughing. Oh, they're not paying attention. Oh, this, oh, that, I must suck. You know, whatever. Mm. When you can drop all of that because it doesn't matter to you, then I think mm. you can really unleash something about yourself. And so that's something that you can learn at those open mics where people aren't paying attention of just being comfortable being on on stage with nobody paying attention. Yeah, and I will say I will say this, I've made a a correction of my own language only because I feel like for me it really matters, right? So the distinction for example between care mm-hmm. and worry. Okay, right? yeah. So yeah. so for a long time in interviews people would say to me, "Oh my god, it's amazing. Like you you just do whatever you want. You don't care what people think." Yeah. And I wanted to sort of take them by both shoulders and shake them and say, no, I care deeply what people think. <laughs> I, I, I value what people think. It matters to me. I actually, I feel like it's maybe even unhealthy to to look at somebody that you're looking at while you're speaking to them and say, I don't care about you. I don't care about what you think. Oh, yeah. Why, or why I don't I care what the someone? outcome's going to be. Right. Or I don't care. Of course I care what the outcome right, is. Right, right. Of course. But here's the difference. I don't worry about it. Right. And I don't value it over the integrity of what I feel is sort of the heartbeat of what I'm doing. Mm, and so, you know, if somebody points at me and laughs and says, this is stupid, I don't, you know, I, I think this is a waste of time. I think this is, you know, bullshit art. Not only do I care about that and mm-hmm. does it affect me, but I don't I don't carry that opinion either higher or lower than an experience of somebody saying, Here's twenty dollars, I think what you're doing is amazing. Oh, <laughs> you know right. I mean? like, because because to me it's all just a an honest reaction to the work. And I can neither carry the victories mm-hmm. uh, over the defeats. <clears throat> or the defeats over the victory. Right. Like, to me, it's the same thing. 
And so I, I really have tried to adapt the philosophy of, you know, I care deeply what people think. I mm-hmm. care deeply about how people are and who they are. I don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't let it override the integrity of what I think is important right now. Right. Or what, you know, the you know, what the benefits of this particular installation or art piece might be. And for me, that's what the distinction is. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I, I, I know you're not correcting my language. I know you're, you're making. Oh, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah. Cause you're right. You're right. That is how I mean it is that it's that mm. you're not worried about it or you're not in mm. fear and it mm. doesn't impede what you're trying to do. If you're, you're, mm. you keep the integrity of what you're trying to do intact regardless mm of how yeah. people respond to it. And that doesn't mean that you don't care how they respond to it. It does mean that you are going to focus on not impeding what you're trying to do or changing the integrity of your work based on Absolutely. that fear or self-doubt or worry. Absolutely. And that being said, you know, I do consider my audience. I do consider, you know, that if my message is going to be received better when I'm not standing in people's way, I'm going to make a concerted effort to consider them and not stand in their way mm-hmm. and, you know, produce work that is beneficial to them because I'm not only an art producer, I'm an art consumer. Mm-hmm. And so I know as a pedestrian, as an art consumer, that when I'm busy and late for a meeting and somebody is producing a piece of work that is encumbering to, you know, a positive outcome in my day, that that's not helpful to me. And so I can mm-hmm. empathize in that direction, in both directions, and say, okay, well, you know, when I am an art consumer, what do I look for in the art I consume? And how can I be respectful of those needs to the people that I am, you know, really genuinely, humbly hoping will take time out of their day to look at me and consider me? That's already a privilege. That's already an honor. It already feels important that they're taking the time to stop what they're doing and say, I'm going to take a moment for this thing that I had no plans around that that already feels like a concession and so the least i can do is consider them mhm i love that and i think that's a good note to end on and transition into the next portion or the final portion of the show which is creating something together and here's mm-hmm. the idea i have and you can totally nix it and say like here's another <laughs> idea i would like to do or rather do jason but if you were to give uh-huh. based on all the stuff that we've been talking about if you were to give me mm-hmm. homework so to speak, of uh, a, a direction I sh- you you would advise me to go in, um, or would like for me to try to work on or, or work out. Mm. What would that homework be? Hmm. Well, I would say to put yourself in a situation that you have interest in, but no affiliation with currently. Mm. And that whatever your reaction in that situation is, that you listen to it and engage with it accordingly. Mm. I like that. So, so it's not like go to a stand-up show, go to a uh, an improv show because I'm pretty affiliated with doing comedy stuff. But correct something that's <laughs> out of my realm, out of my wheelhouse, maybe. Correct, correct. And then, and then see what that leads to for you. I would. If, if I was the homework giver, I would say the instruction would be to stay open mm-hmm. to whatever happens in that encounter and then see what it leads to for you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to do that and I'm yes. going to do it. Mul- I'm going to I'm going to try to do it multiple times, but I'm at least going to do that once. Yes. 
Um, but I, I like that sort of, it's adventurous and it makes life more fun. And I also have noticed the last week or so that I've been sort of, uh, I've sort of had tunnel vision on two or three different things and I want to expand my horizon some more. So I think getting outside of what I'm, you know, getting outside of the norm would be really good for me. Well, and I would, I would even say this. So instead of even focusing on getting outside of what's normal for you, I would say focus on what's on, focus on the thing that is most exciting for you. So mm-hmm. the thing when you, when you're alone in your room at night and there's mm-hmm. no one to impress and there's no thing to measure against and you start thinking about the things that excite you the most and like where you would want to be in, in, in those activities, go there first, look there first and then see what happens there. Stay open to whatever possibilities are there. And, you know, I encourage you to get involved if there's an opportunity to get involved and to trust your instincts in those moments and see where they lead you. I love that. There it is. Thanks. This was awesome. This was really great. Thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. So nice to know you better. Aw, Lindsay Cat, everybody. She is so great. I'm so glad I know her. I love people like her because she just doesn't seem jaded or bitter by the world, you know? Like, the negativity people put out, it doesn't seem to make her stumble from her integrity. And that, I think that takes a lot of confidence and patience and love. And I also love the homework she gave. And I love the note that she gave about picking something that I would be excited to do, like... TV shows, if they did something like this, it would be like Fear Factor. Like, they're going to make you do something you'd hate. Like, oh, you're afraid of bugs? Well, you got to eat one. Like, that's not what this is at all. This is picking something you would love to experience but haven't yet. Immerse yourself in it and see what unfolds. That's, I just love that. I'm very excited to do it. I don't know what I'm going to pick yet, but I will certainly share the experience with you. And if you do this homework, then please share it with us. We would love that. You can share your experience on Facebook and Twitter at There It Is Pod. And you can follow Lindsay online on Twitter and on Instagram. She's at Lindsay Cat. On Facebook, she's at Lindsay Cat Music. Links in bio. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Thank you so much for listening. I'm excited to share next week's episode with you, too. It's a great follow up to today's conversation with one of my favorite performers in New York. So please come back. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. <laughs>